0: Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue Podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada.
1: If anything, the depth of mistrust, anger, and fragmentation has deepened. The epithet of fake news is still pervasive. It has become entirely meaningless. What is the greater challenge is to discern the legitimate concerns underlying it all. Worldviews are polarized and fragmented. The rejection of any narrative or perspective other than one's own is truly startling. This is no longer a question of journalistic ethics. It is a question of views of the world rooted in identity politics and
0: an intolerance of any alternative views. That's former CBC Ombudsperson Esther Ankin summing up the challenges of her office in her final report for 2018. After six years as the CBC's complaint watchdog, and another 40 as a working journalist that took her from field producing for the Journal to senior editor on The World at Six, Ankin retired at the end of the Year. Broadcast Dialogue had the chance to talk to her about the state of Canadian journalism in the age of outrage and distrust as she packed up her office in late December. I still think there are some people in the broadcasting community who aren't quite sure what the CBC ombudsperson does. Can you talk about the kind of work you've been doing over the last six years?
1: It's not just the work I've been doing over the last six years. It's the work that the office has been doing for roughly the last 30 So the Office of the Ombudsman has a specific mandate to ensure that, and there is one on the Radio Canada side as well, to ensure that news and current affairs content conforms to CBC's journalistic standards and practices. So it is part of the commitment to accountability. It is uh, part of a commitment to openness. And the Ombudsman, generally speaking, in in media and I guess other industries, is kind of the people's representative. So when people are on uncomfortable with or have criticism of CBC uh, News and Current Affairs content, they come to the Ombudsman. And then there's a a specific process that's followed from
0: there. And you wrote in your most recent report that the past 12 months have been some of the busiest and most demanding uh, since you took up the office. There's been a consistent increase in the number of uh, complaints coming into the CBC. Is that right? A bigger increases
1: in the number of people asking for reviews as as opposed to the number of of actual communications, although it ha- yeah the last couple of years it's gone up and the the notable thing is not so much the increase in in the numbers but in the um level of anger. The um, you know all the things you see in in the broader political landscape, distrust of of uh, politicians, distrust of institutions, distrust of media for sure, and really a, a kind of very troubling and um, and worrying I guess. Um, Lack of desire, ability to actually engage—very, very, very um, you know, polarized positions. Um, look, nobody's ever written this office because they're happy. Uh, it's the way it's expressed, um, and and it is. I think you know the the tone and tenor of of civil or civic dialogue uh, in the age of social media. It, it has affected how people express themselves and how they see themselves. Um, look, nobody's ever written this office because they're happy. Uh, it's the way it's expressed um, and and it is I think you know the the tone and tenor of of civil or civic dialogue uh, in the age of social media it, it has affected how people express themselves and how they
0: see themselves. Well, I think the intro to your report this year was one of the most definitive statements on the current state of media and its relationship. Uh, to audiences. Quoting from it, you wrote, the rejection of any narrative or perspective other than one's own is truly startling. Do you want to expand on how that's uh, reflected in, in the type of complaints that you received?
1: It's reflected in, first of all, this kind of going, the, the, the operating assumption is somebody's being diminished or hurt. If they, if another group is being featured. So lots of people don't like indigenous coverage. They don't like coverage of LGBTQ people. They don't like coverage of issues around race because they seem to believe it's a zero sum game, that there's an implicit criticism of them personally or that they're being diminished in some ways. And, and that's, that again, one sees that in almost every institution, sees it in the rise of populism, in the rise of nativist politics. It's all of a piece. It seems that when people are unsure of where they sit in the world, and, you know, identities and, and norms are shifting, then there seems to be a kind of beggar thy neighbor, um, or blaming the other. Um, perspective that creeps in, and and similarly, others will demand that certain voices never be heard. Right, the the notion of free expression and a range of ideas, the, the line that's that drawn that this is that this is somehow you know racist um, or sexist or or you know in in some way in t- entirely inappropriate. Um, is a line that I don't, you know, I I don't always see it. There are oftentimes that might be true, but even in a journalistic context, there are times, for instance, the Richard Spencers of this world should be interviewed, but there's a kind of labeling that goes on, and and what I see as, certainly the people who who hold these positions wouldn't say it, but I would characterize almost as a kind of call for censorship, you know, it's, there's, where, where the exact line is about what's acceptable speech and what is reinforcing hate speech or, or is hurtful, so hurtful it shouldn't really be published is never, that's why there's, why there's, uh, codes of, of practice and why there's ombuds people and standards editors, but, you know, it's, not, it's not a very clear line and, and I fear that, There are those who would shut down dialogue and shut down exchange of ideas at a point that is not healthy. Now, again, I have a kind of an extreme view of the universe because nobody writes because they're happy, but, but again, you know, one sees this in the context of uh, wider societal trends.
0: Why do you think there's been a consistent disconnect between, you know, Canadians with more conservative viewpoints and the public broadcaster? Um, the Gerald Stanley trial, I think, is probably the pivotal example from this year because there was, uh, you know, an overwhelming yep. uh, feeling yep. that CBC News was downplaying the actions of the Indigenous man that he shot.
1: You have to be careful how definitive you are in statements like this. And this is where, you know, many years of being in a newsroom comes in. You're right. Uh, Many of the complaints were from people who believe that their perspective was not being reflected. Um, In fact, on analysis, it was. Some of it has to do with how things are framed. Um, but again, remember there is nothing um, scientific or really um, systemic in how we can measure what the majority of Canadians believe because it's self-selected who writes, it's self-selected who a- asks for reviews, and when you think about it logically, the more people are passionately attached to a point of view, uh, the more likely they are to pursue the process. And I, you know, I can't say I got an equal number of. Correspondence, but there is correspondence which would say, you know, CBC was unfair to, uh, and underplayed the, uh, the plight of indigenous people. So, but, but fair enough, there, there is an ongoing sense, um, in some, in some conservative let's call it that or or people who were upset in the Stanley coverage and i think you know is there always room for improvement there is and i think it's largely not that both views aren't reflected but how the coverage on a variety of issues is framed, and I think I referred to that in my last annual report too. It's important to try to frame things from a range of perspectives. There's also a point at which uh, overwhelming evidence and, you know, journal- the CBC's journalistic standards and practices says that uh, journalists use their knowledge and expertise to synthesize and analyze information. There's a point at which it becomes a false equivalence to provide a range of other views if the evidence, and I'm not referring necessarily to Stanley here, uh, if the evidence uh, indicates otherwise.
0: Do you think that uh, there's enough honing of those skills in terms of journalists being prepared to challenge perspectives, um, you know, including young graduates coming out of journalism schools? I've done a fair bit of lecturing
1: at uh, J schools, at least in Toronto. I'm quite impressed at how, how bright and engaged people are. You know, um, I think probably the greater Challenge is again the the ecosystem that young journalists are functioning in. So, blogs and social media, and and the pressure to to you know be clicked on. Um, and, and even though I can tell you, and it's not my job to defend the public broadcaster, the the commitment to the to JSP to the journalistic standards and practices, and the commitment to. Um, Open and inclusive journalism is is real, and uh, you know, there are pressures and there sometimes they're not even conscious pressures around the environment people work in. and I, I think my bigger so my bigger concern is the kind of pressure on young reporters to just keep churning it out without the time to really consider or gain the kind of context and background knowledge, and some subjects are more important than others, to be able to frame things in a way that captures some of the, the nuance. So, yeah, do I have some concerns about the levels of critical thinking? Yeah. Um, what the, I don't know if the cause is from edu- education or the cause is from, you know, the environments in which people are forced to work. Not sure. Probably a little of both.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of, you know, the time that reporters have yeah. to, uh, to, you know, just to chase those balanced perspectives. Do you have feelings on how working journalists can best navigate this new environment?
1: Uh, you know, it's sort of the $64,000 question, right?
0: Um, I, you know, I think you know, it's,
1: it's all the things you would, I would have always said, understand. Uh, the guiding values and principles underpinning CBC journalism, journalism generally, uh, but in the case of CBC, public service journalism. And really, you know, if, any, if this job has taught me anything, it's taught me that it's really important to, with an open mind, listen to what people are saying, understand why they might be saying it, and, and take it from there, you know it's not all you know what what they're really trying to say or what what's really underlying it. but some of it for young journalists is I think a kind of you know, look you, you, you gain experience by doing. so in to really approach subjects and even ones that are not as controversial to say, okay, what's the background to this? what knowledge should I have to be able to better understand, and put in context the assertions, opinions, perspectives of people who do have views on this.
0: So after 40 years in journalism, has being able to sort of act as the final voice of reason in your capacity in the office of the ombudsman, has that been satisfying for you? Were there any you know, particular decisions that you, know, you, really, you really took pleasure in writing?
1: I'll tell you what I've really liked about this job. It's exactly what you say. It's kind of really trying to help people understand the context in which journalism exists and to, to really thereby... Emphasize its importance as part of the public discourse. You know, I've been very involved for the, almost my whole time—well, the six years in this office—in the organization of news ombudsmen and standards editors, which is an international—and I mean really international—every every continent uh, organization of um, ombudsmen and and uh, standards editors who are committed to the notion of excellent journalism accountable to the public that supports public discourse, and it really is a critical part of the democratic process. Just ask my colleagues in Turkey and India what that looks like. And and I think it's really true here, too. And so it's been deeply satisfying to try to step back and be measured and reasonable and respectful of people's views and put each complaint in the context of what journalism is. Uh, trying to achieve. Uh, But probably even more satisfying in my career was that was the time I spent working with uh, journalists here. And I have done a little bit of work abroad. But but in my in my CBC life, working with journalists right across this country, to gain an understanding of what ethical and excellent journalism looks like. That's been deeply satisfying. And I and and also seeing the level of commitment to it.
0: You concluded this year's report saying that your successor will inherit a less trusting and more polarized public. Do you have words of wisdom for Mm. Jack Nagler as he takes up the office?
1: (laughs) Um, First of all I think Jack is more than capable of the task so that uh, Canadians will continue to be extremely well served. And the words of wisdom are take a deep breath and as I said before you know, really think about what is what is really being expressed here, what is the context for it, what's the world view, and where does and but always, always the touchstone is what you know not the the opinion or the perspective, but the actual going to the work that's being criticized and and look at it in the context of ethical. You know, strong journalism, and did it meet those standards? It's a very imperfect world, and probably what I've said more than anything else in any review is journalism is iterative. It is not. Um, scientific study where, where, you know, certainty has to be at a certain point. Nor is it, you know, the whole truth. That's what makes it iterative. It is, it is the, it's the continuous process. It's the gaining of more facts and understanding that creates a picture over time. And it, and, you know, I can review two complaints about two different pieces of work and come to two different conclusions because the context Um, of what is known and what was expected and the framing of of the work uh, can make all the difference.
0: Is there anything that you want to add?
1: Uh, No, except again to say one of the things that makes me quite sad is how few institutions uh, both broadcast and print, although we're kind of all merging, have an office of, you know, either a standards editor or a uh, reader's editor or an ombudsperson because the greatest task, of one of the greatest tasks facing people in our business right now is to build public trust and to be open and accountable for what we do and to educate people about how it's done and... Um, it, it, it remains, a, it, it puzzles me why institutions don't have ombuds people because, you know, in my correspondence with people, even people who are really angry or not even satisfied with however things are concluded really respect the process. And so I would really strongly urge uh, broadcasters who want to be able to engage their their audience members who are, after all, citizens, in a more deep and meaningful way and building trust to look at a process like this.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.